Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm your producer, Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Recently, Rob completed a teaching series entitled Save, Sing, and Share the Hymns. This course will teach you how the book of Psalms was arranged and motivate you to create a personal hymn book inside your mind. You'll also journey alongside a young music minister as Rob guides him through 60 classic hymns we should never lose. This unique course includes a downloadable guide to the book of Psalms, live music samples of select hymns, and a bonus interview with worship professor Vernon Whaley. For a limited time, we're offering this nine-session online course at a 50% discount. Visit robertjmorgan.com and click on the Courses link to find and enroll in this self-paced study using any computer or mobile device. And now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan, continuing his series through the Book of Acts, preaching this week from the pulpit of Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois. Thank you so much. I tell people I'm from East Tennessee, Northeast Tennessee. I'm a hillbilly. I grew up where God made the sun shine and we made the moon shine. (laughs) Now, my wife was from Maine, and she had a very strong Maine dialect. And when we met, I had a very strong East Tennessee dialect. We didn't understand each other for three years. The first joke that I ever told her, I held out my hand. I said, how's my hand like a lemon pie? The answer is, it's got meringue on it. (laughs) She never did understand that joke. I told it to her every year, and she never did get it. But I'm glad to be here in Peoria and back in this church. I love this church. Um, It really, the worship is just, was so wonderful today, and um, I'm very grateful. Pastor Kerry mentioned that my wife passed away a year ago, Katrina. We'd been married for 43 years. We uh, met each other in college, but we didn't start dating in college. I graduated and went on to Wheaton, and back then we didn't have cell phones or email or FaceTime or anything like that. We had 13-cent postage stamps. And so we wrote to each other for a couple of years, and finally I went to see her, and I said, if we don't get married, we'll never know each other. And she said, is that a proposal? And I said, well, yeah, let's just get married, and then we'll fall in love. It's rather unusual. But, um, but we did, and we did. And we had a wonderful marriage of 43 years. Uh, The last 25, she battled multiple sclerosis. But we made up our minds to be cheerful and to just press ahead a day at a time. And the Lord blessed us wonderfully. But now, you know, I'm missing her. And recently, I found that one of the best places to go for your devotions, if you're a widower, is the book of Acts the book of the Acts of the Apostles, the fifth book of the New Testament. Why is that, you say? Well, it's obvious, because this is all about what the Lord's disciples did after they lost him. After he went to heaven, 
he went on to heaven. So what do we do now? And the book of Acts gives the answer. And I've been reading through the book of Acts, and it's been encouraging me to rededicate myself to the Lord and His work over and over again. And so I'd like to ask you to turn with me to the book of the Acts of the Apostles. I'm actually going to be in chapter 5, but I'd like to give the context and give you an overview of this book, the first chapters of this book. So look at chapter 1 with me. The book of the Acts of the Apostles and chapter number 1. The Acts of the Apostles and chapter number 1, verse 1. This is written by Luke. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Now, the former book is his gospel. He wrote 24 chapters. We call it the Gospel of Luke. And now he is coming back and he is giving the sequel to that with his book of the Acts of the Apostles. So he begins his book of Acts by referring back to his previous book. And he says, my earlier book is the story of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And that word began is so significant because he could have said, my former book is about all that Jesus said and did until he was taken up to heaven. But he specifically does not say that. And what he does say is setting the stage for the entirety of the Acts of the Apostles. The gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is about all that Jesus began to do and to teach And the book of Acts and all of subsequent history and where we are today is the story of all that Jesus is continuing to do and to teach by his Holy Spirit through us. And that really gives us the theme of the book of Acts. When you do something for the Lord, it's not you doing it. It's his doing it through you. And believe me, there really is a paradigm shift. There is a different way of thinking that comes over you when you look at everything that way. I'm not coming up here to preach to you. I'm just saying, Lord, I'm going to go up there and stand, and you preach through me by your Holy Spirit. You teach these preschoolers through me by your Holy Spirit. You win that person to the Lord Jesus through me by your Holy Spirit, whatever it is you're doing for the Lord. It's not you doing it. It's him doing it by his Holy Spirit. That is the great theme of this book of the Acts of the Apostles. And when you begin looking at the book through those lens, you see it over and over again. So in chapter 1, Jesus ascended to heaven. In chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descended upon the 120 believers. And we say on this day of Pentecost, the church was born and the Holy Spirit came to indwell each one of these believers and to fill them because it was the Spirit of Jesus now filling them up so that he could do his work and give his message through them. And so we have the wonderful sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved. And then in chapter 3, Peter and John were going into the temple to pray And they had a lame man there, and Peter said, silver and gold have I none, but whatever I have I'm going to give to you, and it is healing in Jesus' name. And the man jumped up. 
He had never walked before in his life, but his feet and his ankles received strength, and he had a euphoria to him. He went walking and leaping and praising God. I read that the other day, and I thought, I need more euphoria in my life. We should have more euphoria as followers of Jesus. Maybe we can't live in constant euphoria, but sometimes just to be so caught up in the Lord that we are happy beyond description. Well, that's the way this fellow was in chapter 3 when he was healed. And Peter uses the occasion to preach a sermon. The apostles get into trouble because of that. They're brought before the Sanhedrin, but they continue to pray, and they don't let anything stop them. And then we come to chapter 5, and we have a little negative story here with Ananias and Sapphira, who were dishonest in the church, and Peter deals with that. But then we come to chapter 5 and verse 12. This is the paragraph that I want to read to you. I'm using the New International Version, but you can use whatever translation you have. And let's begin reading Acts chapter uh, 5 and verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by all of the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought their sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented with evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Now, there is nothing in the Bible like this. This is very unusual. This is still in the glow of the ministry of the Lord Jesus, who was a miracle worker. And in these early days in the book of Acts, the apostles still had some of that miracle working energy within them. So some unusual things happened. But in all of the Bible, nothing quite like this. The church was growing and multiplying, and they were meeting regularly. They didn't have a church building, but they met on Solomon's colonnade in the temple. So in the vast area that, I mean, this is acres and acres that King Herod had built for the temple. On the south side of this acreage, there was a big colonnaded um, place, open-air place with the roof over it, and it was big enough to accommodate many people. So the Christians would gather there, and they would pray and celebrate, and Peter would preach, and the apostles would disciple them. And so there was great excitement in Jerusalem, I mean, this was, there was an energy, there was an electricity in this city. And you can just imagine Peter and Thomas and John and James, the apostles, they were coming and going. They were thronged with people. And it says here in verse 15, this is so unusual. I don't think there's anything like it in the Bible. This is a very unique verse. That as Peter would go through the streets... There was something so charismatically powerful about his presence at this particular time. This is sort of a temporary phenomena. It's in the the afterglow of Pentecost. But 
people would put their sick. They would come from the villages, and here was a blind man, a lame man, somebody with a fever, somebody with a virus, and they would lay them down so that as Peter walked by, his shadow might fall over them, and even his shadow healed them. I mean, have you ever seen that in the Bible before? That just Peter's shadow passing over them healed them. And I read this the other day, and I was so impressed with it. I was so encouraged. And the thought came to me, we need Peter's shadow today. I want to ask you three questions about it, three questions that came to my mind. And the first one is, whose shadow has ever fallen over your life? We all have people who come, they, we may not, they may not even be aware of it, but they pass by and their shadow falls over our lives. When I was a preschooler, there was a lady in our church, and her name was Marjorie Bailey, and she worked with preschoolers, and I was just a little fellow, maybe four years old, I don't know, but I would be, you know, she would be the one working with me in our church, and she led me or helped me to memorize my verse, Bible verse. Now, I'm an advocate of Scripture memory, and I'm still working at age 68 on memorizing Scripture, but she taught me my very first verse, Psalm 122, verse 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. The first verse I ever learned was about the joy of coming to the house of the Lord. And it's no wonder that here over, well, 60 years, over 60 years later, I still enjoy coming to the house of the Lord. I've given my life to that. I've been a pastor for many of these years. Her shadow fell over my life. And then my pastor, I had the same pastor for many years growing up. His name was Winford Floyd, and he had a wonderful voice and he, I don't remember too many of his sermons. I must have heard a thousand, five thousand of them. I remember one about Philemon and Onesimus, but I don't remember the individual sermons, but I remember him standing and reading the Scripture in the depth of his baritone voice and tears frequently in his eye, and his shadow passed over my life. And then as a teenager, I sort of got away from the Lord for a while a little bit. And one day I turned on the radio, and there was a British man, and he was preaching a sermon. And somehow, instantly, that sermon connected in my heart. I grabbed a piece of paper. I started taking notes. And that sermon had more impact on me than any other single sermon I've ever heard in my life. And it was about Mark's gospel, the story of Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem. It's not the kind of sermon you think would change your life, but he didn't even know about it. But his shadow passed over my life. And I went to Columbia International University, and I had a professor, James Hatch, best professor I've ever had. I couldn't get over how he would teach. He was sort of shy and introverted, and he had this South Carolina drawl and and he would pick up this book and say, this, you've got to learn to handle this book correctly. This is, this is a holy book. And he taught me how to study the Bible and how to teach it. And his shadow passed over my life. There have been a lot of people, and their shadow 
has passed over my life and healed me or helped me in some way. And if we could take one of those microphones around here and I could say, whose shadow passed over your life? A grandfather, a grandmother, a pastor, a teacher, a coach? Who would it be? We all have people, their shadows have fallen over our lives and the Holy Spirit has had a divine energy in that shadow that helped us in a tremendous way. So whose shadow has fallen over your life? Well, of course, that leads to this thought. Don't you want your shadow to fall across the lives of others? In this world we're living in right now, people need someone walking by who has power in their influence and power in their mentoring and their modeling and power in their shadows so that they can be helped and healed. And I think it's very possible that there are people here in this room and as you walk down the byways of life, your shadow is falling on people. You may not even be aware of it, but hope and healing and help are coming into their life because of your shadow. So that's the first question that came to my mind. Whose shadow has fallen over me? Here's the second question. How then do we cast shadows If we want our shadow to have some kind of power similar in some way to Peter's so that as we walk along life, we can help people and we can bring healing and hope to them, then how do we cast shadows? How does a person cast a shadow? Well, the answer to that is obvious. You have to stand in the light. You can't create a shadow on your own. There's no way you can create a shadow. You have nothing to do with creating a shadow. The shadow only happens as you walk in the light. So the whole secret to casting shadows is to walk in the light as he is in the light. And Jesus said, I am the light. Now, if you're going to live in the light, how do you do that? Well, you do it, first of all, by swallowing the light Stanley Jones, the missionary to India, said that when he found Christ, he felt as though he had swallowed sunshine. Isn't that a wonderful way of putting it? Because the Lord, who is light without darkness, who is purity without sin, literally, I think, even physically dwells in an approachable light. And we're separated from him by our sins, and we live in darkness. Have you ever gone down in a cavern and they turned off the light? And there's so dark, the darkness is so thick, you can't even see the luminescent hands of your wristwatch. Well, we live in darkness. People live today in darkness. There's no light whatsoever until you find Christ. And then it's the light comes on. And Jesus loves you. The whole message of the Bible is that all of us are in darkness and he is in the light of his holiness, but he became a man and entered this dark world and died on the cross and rose from the grave. And that when we confess our sins and we come to him in simple faith and we say, Lord, I am turning to you and trusting in you for salvation, then light 
comes on in our lives, as though somebody just turned on a floodlight. Lights like all of these above us, lights like football stadium lights, they come on. Lights like the sun, you begin to walk in light. And then, as you open your Bible every day in Bible study, the unfolding of His Word gives light. The psalmist says that, your word is a lamp into my feet, a light into my pathway. And so, we stand in the light and we walk in the light when we know Him as Savior and when we live in the light of His presence every day through Bible study and prayer. And this is a commitment that my wife and I made when we were first married. I mean, we were already doing this, is that every morning we would have our devotion. She would have hers. I would have mine. And I've been doing that now. My people who taught me this back in college did a very good job because I'm committed to having my daily devotions. It's what keeps me going. So every morning I wake up and grab a cup of coffee and sit down at my desk, and I just pick up where I left off reading the day before. I've been reading, as I said, through the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And sometimes I may read several chapters and Sometimes I may read just several words or several verses, and I may go back, but I'm just spending as much time as I want to studying the Acts of the Apostles. And I have a wide margin Bible, and I'll make notes in the margins, and I have a little notebook, and I'll write things down, and I'll say, Lord, speak to me here in this passage. And, and somehow the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God, and as you study it day by day, He unlocks it, and He bathes your heart in light with His Word. And then I'll say, well, Lord, let me talk to you some now, and I'll have my prayer time. And this daily habit of Bible study and prayer, whether you do it in the morning or in the evening or in the middle of the day, whenever you do it every day, is the most important habit in the Christian life because it's what lets us get to know the Lord better and better. It's what enables us to walk consistently in the light of the Word. It is what changes us from the inside out so that you begin radiating light. And not only do you radiate light, but you reflect the light and your life casts shadows because the brighter the light, the sharper the shadow. The only way that your shadow of influence can effectively fall over another person for the sake of Christ is if you are living in bright light. You've got to live in bright spiritual light. You've got to live in the brightest of light, and then you cast the starkest and strongest of shadows. You don't even have to work at it. I mean, you have to be obedient, and you have to serve, and you have to minister, and you have to say, Lord, what do you want me to do today? But the casting of shadows comes as you are walking in the light. It's not you doing it. It is the Lord Jesus who is doing it. And so, the first question, whose lives cast a shadow over me, and can I somehow cast a shadow over someone else's life. The second one, well, if so, then how do we cast shadows? And the answer is, you stand in the sunlight. But that leads to the third question. How do we cast longer, stronger shadows? How can our influence become greater? How can we grow 
and the way that we impact the lives of others. And that answer also is pretty obvious. There is only one way to cast a longer shadow, right? You have to keep casting it as the sun begins going down. When I was a child, I guess all of us are like this, we noticed how when we stood about the middle of the day when it was time for lunch, we didn't have very much shadow. What happened to my shadow? I don't have a shadow here. And about one or two o'clock, well, my shadow's a little longer, but when you get down to about 4.30 or 5 o'clock, your shadow, I remember, I, my shadow was so much bigger than I was. You know, I was maybe four and a half feet and my shadow was 30 or 40 feet. Why? Because the sun was sinking in the sky. I think the lesson here is that as the days get shorter in our lives, our influence grows greater. Now, that may sound odd to you because our society has this opposite philosophy. You know, as you get older, then you are less useful. But the Bible takes a different approach to it, that as we grow older, we grow in wisdom, we grow in maturity, we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We should be more effective for the Lord when we're 25 than we were when we were 15, should be more effective for Him when we're 40 than when we're 30, when we're 50 than when we were 40, when we're 60 than when we were 50, when we're 70 than when we were 60. We should continue growing in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We should keep growing in our knowledge of the Bible. We should keep growing in grace and our physical frames may begin to deteriorate some. But the Bible says, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And Psalm 90 says, the righteous are like a palm tree. They are like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of their God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green proclaiming, the Lord is my rock. He is upright and there is no wickedness in him. So, I am committed to the proposition that as we go along in life, we become more useful to the Lord if we keep walking with the Lord in the light of his presence. And this is why we don't retire. Now, we may retire from our professions, we may retire from our vocations. That's all right. We make changes in life. But it's only to free us up for further service for the Lord. We never retire from doing day by day what He has called us to do. Our work for Him may change. I used to pastor as a senior pastor for many years, and then with Katrina's illness and with my age and with the responsibilities I had, then I changed roles at my church. We have to make adjustments and changes. But to sit on the porch and just play out the clock and twiddle our thumbs, that is not what Christians do. Because as long as we're alive, God has something for us to do. Psalm 119 verse 16 says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I begin to breathe. Every day is recorded in your book. 
So if God has every day of our lives scheduled out, he has something for us to do. And as we go along through life, our influence by the Holy Spirit in ways we may not even realize becomes greater and greater. Our shadows become longer and stronger until the Lord takes us to heaven. About a month ago, I had the opportunity of going to our state capitol building in Nashville where I live and meeting with Governor Lee. Our governor, is uh, Mike Lee, is a wonderful Christian, and he's a Presbyterian, and he's been very involved at Christ Presbyterian in Nashville and with their school and everything. And um, every year we have a governor's prayer breakfast at David Lipscomb University, and hundreds of people come, and we couldn't have it this year. So about seven or eight of us were invited to the governor's office to pray for him. And, uh, and so I showed up, and I had never met the governor before. And we all had our mask on, and we met in the conference room in the state capitol, and we were socially distanced, and there were a few kind words. And then we said, Governor, we've come to pray for you. And he bowed his head, and we all went around and prayed for him. And then when we finished, I looked at my watch, and we'd gone over time. And I knew that he had told us he only has a 15-minute window. So I thought, oh, he's going to leave very quickly. But when we finished praying, he looked up and he said, well, I want to pray too. And he bowed his head and we did. And he prayed the most wonderful prayer, asking for God's healing of Tennesseans and his blessings on the uh, uh, healthcare workers and for a revival in the churches. And I mean, he prayed a wonderful prayer. But I'm telling you all of that because after it was over and I was leaving the Capitol, another man who was there praying was a fellow that I hadn't seen for maybe two or three years, but he's a legend in Nashville. His name is Don Finto. And he was a pastor there in downtown Nashville for many, many years. And he still is a very influential man. So I went up to him and I said, Don, I've not seen you for so long. What are you doing? So he started telling me all that he was doing and he's teaching here and mentoring here and he's got a group and he's leading them here. And I mean, he was full of activity for the Lord. And he, he talked about the church in Iran, how it's growing. And, um, and he's very involved with all of that. And, and, um, uh, and I said, you have so much energy. He said, you know, I am 90 years old. I said, Don, you don't look like you're 90. You're 90 years old. I thought you were about 78 or maybe 79. You're 90 years old? I said, what's your secret? He said, well, you know, God has been good, and I guess I have good genes. But then he said, there is one other thing. When I was 84 years old, I was having my devotions one day, And it's as though the Lord pointed his finger at me from heaven, and he said, Don, I do not want you looking or acting like an old man. And Don said, yes, sir, Lord. So he said, I made up my mind. I just wouldn't look or act like an old man. I just keep going. And I came away thinking I've learned a lot from that fellow today. His shadow just passed over me. Because I think that as long as we're here, God has something for us to do. And maybe our greatest work, well, I'm sure of this, our greatest work is always ahead of us. Both in this life and then when he takes us to heaven. Our best days, our best work is always in front of us. So all of this 
from this very odd, simple little verse. As a result, people were brought into the streets and they laid their sick on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow could fall over them and they would be healed. Whose shadow has passed over your life? And who are you walking past, and maybe you don't even know how strongly the Lord is using your shadow on their lives? Well, all you have to do to cast a shadow is to walk in the light, the light of salvation and the light of constantly being in God's bright presence in His Word. And as we go through life, the shadows don't become shorter. They become longer and stronger until He takes us home to the city of light. So my prayer for Grace Presbyterian Church and for all of you and for me is, Dear Lord, Bless our shadows, and may they be longer and stronger and do much for the kingdom in this land of darkness today. Thank you for letting me be here, and may God bless all of you so very richly.